This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and this week I'm here with Kevin Entresian. You may know him from his own band, Dillinger Escape Plan, or from his production work at his New Jersey studio, Backroom-Party Smashers Studio. He's done work with groups like Frank Iaro and The Celebration, Foxy Shazam, Trophy Scars, The Number 12 Looks Like You, and many, many more. We get into a whole lot of topics and how he feels about all sorts of production stuff, and I think it's a really dope conversation. I want to remind you my new book, Processing Creativity, The Tools, Practices, and Habits Used to Make Music You're Happy With, is out now on ebook, audiobook, and physical book. I encourage you to check it out if you enjoy this conversation. Here's my chat with Kevin. Check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? Me going into a Turtle Beach headset into Pro Tools on my laptop. Nice. Really sick. Yeah, really high end. <laughs> so tell me about your background in music. Sure. Uh, my background in music, I guess, started from... I had someone played guitar in front of me out of like a shitty Marshall half stack. Or not even half stack, it was a combo amp. And I was... They were playing like Rage Against the Machine riffs when I was like 14. And I was like, whoa, this is like the coolest sounding thing ever. And I didn't, I wasn't even into like rock and roll and stuff at that time much. And that just like sucked me in real hard, probably when I was like 12 or 13 or something. Then, uh, yeah, that just started from there. And, you know, I eventually played in bands all throughout my youth and uh, went to college for music and audio engineering, classical guitar. And um, from there, graduated and ended up going in well, you know, simultaneously touring and stuff like that. Um, purchased a, a rehearsal and recording studio and then found my way into my current band, which is Dillinger Escape Plan. And that's kind of, I guess, the short version of where I am right now. Nice. So tell me about the evolution to getting into producing. I guess from the beginning of it, I was just like playing in local crappy bands and we'd go to like some guys, you know, kind of not really basement studio, but like he had a home studio. It was nice. It was furnished. It was cool. To us, it was like when I was like 17, it was like the coolest thing ever. You know, this guy had like all this, he had, you know, a tape deck and I, he, had, he had everything. He had all, all the goodies and we were we were in there and I was like apparently really meticulous with our music, even though our music wasn't very good. But I was, you know, always on him about every little detail. And he was like, man, you really are catching these things that even I'm not catching. And he's like, you should probably just do this for a living. And I just, you know, brushed it off. And I thought it was, you know, a funny, funny joke at the time. And then I don't know, somehow I just kept doing that and just really got into the whole engineering thing. And eventually went to school for it. Yeah, just kind of made a career out of it. It's 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 sometimes. I mean, it's it's kind of a weird thing to do that. I, obviously, as you know, to 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 make a career out of like something that's kind of like a hobby when you're younger and you do it for fun. And they're like, wow, I can actually make money from this. This is crazy. 
<laughs> it is crazy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about your studio. It's uh, called Backroom Studios. It's located in Rockaway, New Jersey, which is like northern New Jersey. Probably not terribly far away from yours. Yeah, you're like uh, probably like 40 minutes west of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I even think we share some clients from time to time. I hear yes. people say, oh, with a Jesse, you know, and stuff like that. Um, which is cool because uh, I think the scene, the I guess like the producer studio scene in like North Jersey is actually pretty rad. I think it's 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 cool to to, to that it's like you know we have like a, a certain amount of like like pretty awesome producers and, and engineers and studios in the local area. I don't think a lot of places outside you know have that in the country. It's de- definitely a funny thing that I don't think it's coincidence that Noise Creators most producers are the North Jersey area because <laughs> it's just the thing too of it's the most densely populated area and. America of, you know, also the type of kids who make punk and hardcore and metal. So it just makes sense that it's all crammed together here. Yeah. And it works. It's cool. I mean, I'm into it. I, I mean, I feel like when, when I was younger, you know, and there would be like, and I was like, you know, just like starting my business, I would have a lot harder time. Like, cause you know, we're all obviously in a, you know, we're business owners. So we're like, you know, competitive to a degree. Mm-hmm. But when I was younger, I used to like get bummed out if like this band I was like talking to or working with would like go to like some other producer that I didn't know or that I did know or something like that. I'd, like really be like, oh man, it's, it's really hurtful. But that, I mean, at this point in the career, I, it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's one of those things you get over as you get older, as long as you ha- yeah. are able to check your ego at, at the door. Some people, it seems like I'm a little shocked when they're, uh, you know, they get into their thirties and they're still worrying about that. And you're like, oh man, dude, really? Yeah, yeah. I think we're all well established in our own fields that it's not like a thing we have to worry about. Now it's like if people are like, oh, I'm, we're gonna go to this guy for the next record. I'm like, oh, that dude's awesome, cool yeah. man. I'm, I mean, I've heard good thing. I mean, obviously, hopefully, I've heard good thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, man, cool. Let me know how when it's all done. I want to hear it. You know. So back in the day, it was like, oh, why are you gonna do that? You should go. You blah blah blah. You know. It's like, dude, just. That's never going to win anything. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look yeah. very good either. <laughs> yeah, it's totally true. I sometimes, yeah. you, you know, the, the, the one bummer I could be is like, you know, oh, yeah, our friend just graduated from Full Sail last week. And then it's a little like, uh, okay, well, you, can, <laughs> you guys were a handful, so I hope that works out. But uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tell me some more about your studio. What's uh, one of the coolest pieces of gear your studio has that you're really into right now? Jeez, I think my, my favorite cornerstone is... Uh, because I'm a guitar player, uh, I have like a really massive amp collection of like boutique amps. I have a whole wall with multiple shelves, like 12 different shelves, plus I have other amps just hanging around. So I must have like about 20 different amplifiers or more, maybe. Very rad. Lots so, of good stuff like yeah, I was in there. Saying, what's a highlight for you these days? What are you really uh, happy about? I have a few Friedmans, which uh, nice. always sound good. Uh, a couple Bogners. What's in there? A Splawn is in there. Uh, we're endorsed through Mesa, so a bunch of different Mesa amps. Uh, they just sent me the, the the John Petrucci one, which is pretty cool. Oh, cool. It's, it's a very cool engineering feat to think about because it's so small, and they they pack so much stuff into that that one PCB, and it's it's pretty engineering wise, it's pretty amazing what they can do with that. Yeah, some some Marshall stuff. I mean, I have a lot of Marshall variants because that's my favorite type. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff in there. So you talked about playing classical guitar. Do you play any other instruments? Uh no. And I don't play classical guitar very well anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely one of those things that if you don't keep at it, you definitely lose it. I can understand that, yes. So when a group comes in to work with you, we have like this saying on the podcast, like on one side you have like kind of the Steve Albini who's just like, I'm not going to get involved with your songs. I may comment on if I think you can do a better take. And then you have like a John Mm -hmm. Feldman who rewrites the whole entire song. What do you see yourself normally doing on that spectrum? Uh, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle and it depends on the band. Mm -hmm. Depends on the climate. Like, a relationship with the band prior, I'll definitely, I'll definitely like, yeah, we'll be have obviously that comfort zone and be able to dig in deeper with the songs. I attract for some reason a lot. I guess because of you know the bands I play in, I attract a lot of like progressive type music. So not that it's always true, but a lot of those guys are like the level of musicality is really high. So I usually don't have to do too much, you know. A lot of times they'll take what I have to say, you know, at this point in my, in my career, like pretty seriously. So they don't just disregard it usually but if i'm doing like dirty punk rock type thing or something like that or grindcore band there's there's not a whole lot you can do (laughs) it's like 
it's like um obviously you can say like do this take better do this take better i know you could play this tighter blah blah that kind of stuff like let's try this amp kind of thing but in terms of like songwriting and structure there's not too many times that you're going to tell like a, a grindcore band to to do like a bar less of a blast beat and maybe <laughs> you know there, it's just there's very limited you kind of just let the band be the band in, in a matter of speaking with us with stuff that has a little more room to breathe and has a like more structure i'll definitely get in there and, and you know write my own parts play guitar on the songs often almost every record i probably do at least a little bit of guitar on there and i'm not like i don't ever say like oh i did this it has to stay i'm like if you think it sucks like we'll take it out i just thought it sounded cool it was a different voice you know i'm I didn't write the song, so you know, I have a different take on it, and I'm just more than happy to throw my little spin in there. And I don't, I don't ask for any, you know, kind of extra credit or, or you know, anything for that. I just do it because I like doing it. It's fun. It's kind of like being in a band temporarily. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What do you think you bring to records most often? I mean, I guess my own, like, I guess tonal taste. I guess because I, um. You know, everybody has their own sound. You know, working around, like, in, in knowing Steve Evitz for a long time, and he's obviously done every Dillinger record. I guess I've really adopted some of his things through through the years of, like, listening to him. Because, like, you know, when you, when you do this stuff, I mean, when we started anyway, the, the internet wasn't, like, a mega thing. So if you were like, oh, I want to learn how to produce or, or engineer, you didn't pull up YouTube and go through 6,000 videos of, of nerds doing talking about stuff. You... You kind of didn't really know what to do. You could only talk to your friends who were doing it and, you know, just like, that's really it. Maybe get Mix Magazine or something. Yep. So, you know, like Steve was like one of the, you know, someone I looked up to a lot and in all his work. And uh, and he just filled my head with like tons of knowledge. In the beginning, I, he was definitely very like yes, uh, that, 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 that guarded about style. it, you know? Yeah, he was very and, – and I've heard things about him doing that. So it didn't like like the first phone call that I got from him and we were co-working uh -huh. on a project to get like a number 12 record. Mm. It, it, the phone call went horribly bad. <laughs> like he told me what gear you have. And this is when I just mm. opened my doors and I had nothing. You know, when I first opened, I literally took my home computer, like my gaming desktop <laughs> with like crazy lights in it and stuff. Mm -hmm. I brought that in. I didn't have any monitors so i just had headphones for me and like maybe one other or two other artists or something i borrowed my friend's 002 because that's what you know was common back then yep you know running windows which was another horrible Ooh. idea and uh let's see what other things i didn't have a desk so i found two wobbly stools at the rehearsal studio and a piece of plywood to put them on top of and i put my computer on that and let's see. So for because you can't just run like a drum setup into a 002 because no. it only had like two pre's on it. I ran in like a eight pre's through Snake from the inserts of a crate PA mixer. Whoa! <laughs> and I did that until I made enough money to buy better gear. So I just kept upping it, upping up, and you know. And then eventually, like you know, me and my father, who's like my business partner, I was like, should I like? buy like real stuff or should i just keep buying like like small upgrades here and there and he's like dude if you're gonna do this for like your living and for a business you've got to go all in and just like take the hit you know mm -hmm. and do the investment and get the loan or whatever so that's what i did i got like a my first credit card uh at the time i just every month they would send it to, i was a college kid every month they would send me the the invoice or whatever and they'd say like would you like to up your credit limit and this is like before the bubble popped uh -huh. and so i would just hit sure you know it was like a game and they would just keep raising it and i had no credit background i had no history mm. so they would just keep raising it, and it went all the way up to twenty eight thousand dollar limit and yep. and i maxed it out immediately <laughs> yeah I, I i think you and i have a similar trajectory for this and then i did about seven years of no credit card debt after that fiasco <laughs> yeah yeah so it's like it's 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 definitely i mean i i agree with that kind of mentality if like you know you're running a business you gotta make you gotta spend money to make money mm -hmm. so i you know it was cool to kind of cut my teeth on that really shitty gear but in you know in the end it's just just dive in and you know get to it with the right stuff nice so uh what's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio oh man they're just constantly underprepared mm. constantly you know they just don't understand you know what they're what they're getting into um and i don't know why that is I th i'd imagine that's been like that for probably since the beginning of time but uh it, like if a lot of people want like that that record that they hear on the radio they want like 
you know, whatever is cool right now that this sounds amazing and it's probably got like a $50,000 budget or something like that or who knows, you know, like there's there's money behind it, which means that there's time behind it, which means that there's thought and preparedness and all kinds mm -hmm. of things that go into that record that they love and that they've been listening to on repeat for the last like like five, six months, you know. And everybody wants that, obviously, but they don't understand what it takes to get that. And they just think that they can book some studio time and then they're going to get that exact same thing. And they're going to sound, well, I have an Axe Effects and this guy has an Axe Effects. <laughs> so I mean, I don't, why don't I sound like this guy? It's well, because you suck. <laughs> you know? It's like because you don't you didn't put the time in into learning how to play whatever, you know, guitar or drums or hitting it hard enough, hitting it correctly. There's like all these things about being a musician that the, everybody you know, and, and I sound like an old person, but like, you know, and this generation, I feel like just wants to cut corners with everything, everything. Nobody has patience for to develop anything and they just want it now, now, now. Yes. And it's like, you, you can't, you can't have that. It's not how that works. You know, like this stuff takes time. Yes. So I feel like it, they just are never prepared enough for, for what, what it entails and what budgets, realistic budgets should be. And now every, you know, obviously, you know, too, budgets now are not like they were. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh well, uh, if I can't, you know, you how much does this cost to do a record properly? Okay, this is the number x x whatever. Oh, uh, that's too much. You know, my buddy who just like you said graduated full sale last mm -hmm. week. He's uh he he has a he has this little interface and he can do it for this much. He can do it for like two hundred bucks or four hundred bucks. This is like cool, man. Uh, well, go ahead, waste your time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Learn with your buddy. I mean, yep. they, you know, I'm, that's cool for demoing, but yep. like you've put like this is the argument I try to always tell these people. It's like you have put probably a year into writing these songs with your friends and spending like so much effort into crafting this music which is like so personal to you guys and you know that sweat investment that you've done you're just gonna you know piss away like with this small record budget and you don't want to take the time to like you know to do that or you want to take it under your own wing and record your own band which is the dumbest thing i think ever because i've done it myself and i hated every minute of it <laughs> it's just like i i just don't understand that kind of process you know if I, you know, I love, I love like, I'll just say cars. Like I love cars. I buy sports cars and I, I really enjoy that kind of hobby kind of thing. But, and I tinker with them and stuff. But when I have a problem or I need some serious work done on my car, I don't do it myself. Mm -hmm. I take it to a mechanic and I pay him to do the work because <laughs> I know it'll be done properly. And there's somebody, there's accountability there. If there is an issue, I can be like, Hey man, I paid you. We had a contract. What's the deal? Whereas you go to your friend, you go, hey, man, uh, I gave you a pack of some beers. Where's my mixes? You'd be like, dude, fuck off. Like, fuck off. I'll have them in six months for you, maybe, if I don't lose them on my hard drive, which I hear that story constantly. Oh, my God, I know. <laughs> oh, man, my hard drive crashed, and, and I lost all the songs. Dude, it's 2017. Yeah, it's, it really is insane. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, it, it really is one of those things. Like, you'd think that that story would have gone through. And, like, you also think of the minimal effort it takes to drag something at the end of the night. And you're like, wow, like, really? We're still doing yeah. this uh, all these years later? It's crazy, man. I mean, there's literally free pieces of software that auto backup your stuff on another hard drive. And it's not like you can use hard drives as an excuse. Data storage is so – it's cheaper than it's ever been. Yeah. It's like you can get a, a terabyte for, like, 60 bucks. It's like, come on. <laughs> and, and I, like I also tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm like, hi, Dropbox with the pack rat feature is four dollars extra a month. You're probably already paying for Dropbox, and then four dollars a month to keep it for a year. Yeah, pretty easy to do to do this. Yeah, I, I just don't know how many times we have to, we're gonna have to go through this the whole thing of like. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's one of the biggest. Back to your original yeah. question of like, what are some of the biggest, you know, the biggest mistakes? It's just, to me, it's just the not being prepared to do. I mean, if they, if they're like, you know, if you know the term, maybe uh, like a meat locker band, mm -hmm. uh -huh. <laughs> uh, you know, like the local uh, venue. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, uh, I, grew, I grew up five blocks from it. <laughs> Oh, perfect. Okay. Um, so if you're like a meat locker band and you want to come in and record songs live and you want them to sell them raw, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. Then, then I have no, I, I love that actually. I think there's a, there's a really, that, I think that's that, uh, that kind of 
artistic approach is awesome and uh, I respect it and uh, we do it all the time. I have one, one of my engineers who does it constantly and it, you know, he does great, great work with that. And that's cool. And like, you know, it is what it is. You just, you understand that we're a band and we sound like this and we want you to put some microphones up and do the best you can to capture that, you know, cool. All right. And we get the mixes, but maybe same day, next day, something like that. And you're done. That's their project. But if you're like, I need every guitar pluck, like edited and you know all the noise cut out mm. and it sounds super modern and pretty much when when people say that to me it just means it sounds super boring and bland and, and robotic and there's nothing to it musically mm-hmm. not musically like 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 soul wise yeah. just it feels super empty to me i'll just be like cool all right well that's gonna take forever and it sucks mm-hmm. so be prepared for that <laughs> <laughs> it is that thing. It's like it's, it's yeah. the, the genetic, genetically modified tomato. It, it looks, tastes, but something's missing. Yeah, for sure, man. And I, I'm hoping soon that like you know everything that they say is cyclical, and we'll we'll come out of that, and we'll get back into like you know something else that's a little more you know sincere or whatever. But I mean, it's just a stylistic thing for me. It just kind of bums me out. Like I, I personally just prefer to be a little bit grosser, noisier, and hearing things that you know don't cut out every little tiny thing any imperfection because i think obviously you know you've heard this argument before it just to me that's what makes it art it makes it unique you know i want to hear those little things so i can you'd be like remember that oh yeah there's that little thing he does here or like whatever you know i'm with you so let's let's reverse this what's a smart thing that bands do during the recording process I mean, the basic stuff is like get their instruments properly intonated and set up and picking the correct head selections, all like musical choices aside, like, you know, writing good songs. I mean, that's <laughs> that's up to them, really. That kind of stuff, I would say, is, is pretty, pretty important for like, you know, getting the right sound that they want to get. You know, obviously the right sound is subjective, mm-hmm. but like what they're going for massively depends on like their understanding of that and obviously the studio's understanding of what they you know if you go to somebody who's never heard that genre of music before and tell them that you want that it's going to be pretty difficult for that engineer or producer to probably probably get that unless they have the best ear or really fast with google maybe i don't know yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah making sure their instruments are are ready and you know and they have their own sound dialed in pretty much I always find that if a band is a really good band and they have a really good sound and they know how to dial in their amps and guitars and everything, it's really hard to fuck that up. I guess you have to like go out of your way to like not make do do that, you know, do them a good service on that one. I, so a lot of times like I'll, I'll want to see that band perform live. And, I, and if they sound crushingly good live, I'll be like, oh, well, this is like super easy. Then we don't have to worry about too much. But if they sound eh, kind of meh live, then you might have your work cut out for you. Yes, totally with you on that. Hi, I'm going to just take one second to tell you about something that if you're listening to this podcast, you will probably be interested in. Noise Creators put out a book called The 30 Minute Guide to Getting More Fans. It's by me, Jesse Cannon. I wrote a book called Get More Fans, The DIY Guide to the New Music Business that's been one of the best-selling books on how to build a fan base for your band. That book is really long and detailed. What we decided to do, though, is make a smaller version of that book that you can read in under 30 minutes that tells you all about how you can build a fan base for your band. I'm sure you've noticed there's been far too many people popping up in your Facebook news feed slinging information on how to build a fan base for a subscription or $100 or something, but Noise Creators was founded because we saw the potential to make the music world a better place. When I started writing about the music business over eight years ago, I always wanted to just teach all the bands that I thought had potential how to do this because I saw too many bands not build themselves up that I thought were the world should hear. So this book has all that knowledge that I learned building fan bases for bands, producing and working in the music business for years. I managed a bunch of successful bands in the past, and this is how I got them to be more than a band that just their hometown knew about. So if you head over to noisecreators.com under the more tab that says ebook, you can get it there for free. All you have to do is enter your email address or your Twitter address. Thanks for taking so the time to check So what happens out. when you and a band disagree about something? They lose. No, um, <laughs> I'm a fairly uh, reasonable person. Depending on what the disagreement's about, I guess if it's like a musical decision or something like that, I always leave, I give them the last word. So I will make a recommendation. I will. I would like to explore my recommendation with them. Um, say if it's like changing a part, adding a new 
line in or adding a vocal harmony, changing the bass notes recently. I'm not going to say obviously the name of the artist, Mm -hmm. but I was with this band and the bass, we did the whole record. The, the the band is awesome like they're just a great cool they're cool like indie rock uh, prog kind of band we did the whole project and then the bass player i guess for that reason we uh we did him last after everything was done and when he laid his parts in he was a really good player like super consistent his tone was massive but his note choices were really weird and being that it's the bass mm-hmm. it kind of throws off all the other stuff mm-hmm. like it really changed how it sat in my head in terms of like uh what the root is and you know the you know what the dominant notes and the chords are it really just fucked me up and i was like dude this sounds so weird like i don't understand what you're doing to the song like and i want and i'm so proud of what we've done here and it all it takes is for you to change a couple of things so you know you you, you pick your battles because you don't want to like completely like crush the artist and like you know, make them because you want them to come back. Ultimately, yes, totally. you, you know, you don't you don't want to make them, you know, like super insecure and feel like an asshole in front of their other bandmates. You know, you've got it's a, it's a, it's a touchy thing. You know, you're pretty much if it was like a drawing, somebody would come up to you with a drawing and say, hey, this is the drawing. I like this is a piece of the whole painting. This is my piece. What do you think? And you go, it's just like shit. Let's redo the whole thing right now. I mean, that's that's a lot of pressure to put on an artist. So <laughs> you've got to you got to understand that. But you've got to be a people person, uh, obviously. Uh, but anyway, so we would sit there and rewrite a lot of his parts. And sometimes he would be like, "Nah, man, I really don't want to change this. Like, I really I did this on purpose. And I'd be like, cool, I totally get that. Let's we can leave that. You know, you pick your battles. But yeah, I, I definitely try to be as fair as possible with keeping the the uh, the ultimate the end goal of making a good record in mind. I always tell them that you know, you're not paying me to be your friend. You're paying me to give you guys a good project. So mm. I do it nicely. But uh, I think obviously you need to if you do bring up a concern and you know is valid concern, you know, a lot of times it, it works out better for that in the end. Uh, they'll respect you a lot more than if you just sat behind the board and didn't say anything, in my opinion. Totally. Let's get your feelings about some modern production uh, tools. Sure. Do amp simulators dash reamping have a role in your productions? They used to more so. I've gotten away from it a lot, as much as I can. They're obviously handy in certain situations. If like uh, I guess my studio operates a little bit differently than other studios where we have a bunch of engineers there and we all rotate. So like I'll be in from like 11 to seven, then some guy will pop in from like eight to 12, you know, and then like the next day it'll be a different guy doing 11 to seven. So it's kind of like a, like a revolving door in that sort. So outboard, like a strong emphasis on tons and tons and tons of outboard gear is hard Mm -hmm. because uh, recalls just wouldn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So we we have like a hybrid system, obviously, and we have a good amount of outboard gear, but we don't, don't, I'm not like trying to fill up an entire like wall, like a huge, you know, I'm not like going to kill myself over it because it just won't get used the way we do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I get a lot of stuff. I, I almost always record the compression on the way in Mm -hmm. just because I know how I'm going to dial it later. So I just do it in the beginning anyway. But so amp simulators, uh, like I used to use them a lot because they're super convenient. It was like, and I'm always like a cutting edge person. So I was just like, oh, this new thing came out. Let me grab this. Oh, this new thing, blah, blah, blah. So like when the Axe came out, before that I was using Line 6 stuff live because uh, it gave you a lot of flexibility. You couldn't get all those sounds out of one amp, you know, normally. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was really cool, the, you know, the variety that you can pull from those things. And, you know, the whole thing was always my my fellow musicians and who I respect were always like, dude, it just doesn't sound as good as this. It doesn't sound as good as this and blah, blah, blah. So the Axfex came out and I got that for the studio and I, I used that for years. I must have spent a few years just like mostly every project and, it, you know, with good results. So you couldn't tell. You could be like, oh, I can tell like that's a, that's not a real amp. Ball. But it's, they sound great and they're easy to dial in. But the problem is with that ease, you kind of lose something in terms of interacting with the artist and the artist interacting with his amp or her amp. And there's from a from a business perspective you kind of you're cutting that experience away from them and that kind of sucks so uh i've learned that over time it took me a while to really understand what that meant now i've been growing like at this almost ridiculous amp collection as i mentioned mm-hmm. before and when you walk into the room you see that first and you're just like jesus christ uh-huh. and for you know guitar players they just like immediately like i want to record here or whatever and they're just like i just you know 
they they don't get to play these amps ever because they're never you can't see them at guitar center you can't see them at your local store they're just not around so they get to try them out and you know I, every band that comes through, I make sure that they, when they are looking for the guitar sound, we try every amp, you know, and then I blind test every amp so that they narrow down what their favorite is out of the whole group. And that to me is like a big part from a guitar player. I wish someone would have done that with me when I was younger. So I kind of knew what I liked more from the get go. You know, even if it was a little bit pricey and out of my, you know, out of my budget, I would have liked to know, like, you know, as for, for what's out there, like what, you know, what I ad- identify with for, you know, at the time. Um, but you never have that. You kind of just like get an amp and because you probably got that amp because the guy who you, you know, like his riffs has the amp mm-hmm. or it's the closest thing that you could afford or, you know, whatever. And then you just sit with that amp forever and, you know, it might suck and it might not be, you know, good for what you're doing, but that's just what you have. So, yeah, I like to, it's it's always a cool learning experience with all, seeing all these the guitar players come in and like, be like, oh my God, I would have never thought that that was the amp that I loved the most. You know, I always thought that I liked this amp because, you know, this dude played it mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, I heard it in real life compared to this one. It sounds like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, when you use an amp sim, you kind of cut that out of the equation and there's nothing romantic about them looking at like this to you panel with LEDs on it and like you turning a knob and going, is this one cool? Is mm-hmm. this one cool? Or just going to like said preset. Like I use this for preset for the last five bands. Yep. Like this is, uh, to me, there's nothing cool about that. And it, and it did take me a long time to understand that, but that's why we do it, man. We just, we grow every, every record we grow. We learn something else. That's rad. Um, how about sampled dash MIDI drums in your productions? I honestly almost hate that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, there is, again, like sometimes it's a necessity, unfortunately, because of the amount of home production that goes on. Mm-hmm. And getting getting drums right is the hardest thing. And, you know, it's, it's so difficult and it takes a lot of time and understanding. And it takes it takes years of development to just like unless you're a drummer and you've been doing it for years and you're just naturally good at that. But. To, to me, as a producer or an engineer, it takes years and years of honing and understanding to really capture the drums correctly for, you know, for what you're going for. If you're just, you know, a guy and, or a girl and you're just you're doing a, your band at home because it's convenient for you and it's cheap for you, your chances are it's going to sound like shit. And unless your intention is to sound like super low fi that's only going to make it harder for us. As you know, I'm sure you've gotten stuff that you just are appalled at. Yes. And, and it's just so hard because it's just like these people don't understand that you, you're you not going to get that record that you want this way. Like, again, it brings it back to you spent so much time preparing these parts and writing these songs. And then you just th- fucking flush it down the toilet with this shitty production. <laughs> and you expect us magicians to just make it sound like a $50,000 budget record, you know, like Eric Valentine or something. And it's like it's not going to happen. So the only way you can even get it close is to incorporate some of that, those, those samples and, you know, Again, I feel like when when Dromagog came out and like you know Sample Replacer came out for Pro Tools mm-hmm. back in the day, like like they, they were very limited and um, people you know and as a young engineer myself, I'm, I'm sure too. If I were to listen to my older mixes from when I was younger, they probably sound so bad I'd run to a corner. Mm-hmm. You know, they they just they have no velocity detection really. It's really poor anyway. They have like four velocities or something like that, and it's just. People just want to like it sound loud all the time, so they just crank the velocities up, and it just sounds so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, I think sample mixing and re- and stuff like that can be done tastefully and well, but I, I try not to use that as a first resort or a second resort. It's like a last resort to me, mm-hmm. especially if I'm recording the material. If I'm recording the material, I will do anything in my power to not use those tools. Uh, you know, unless it's like straight up like like a, a super super heavy project, and the kick drum needs to be super consistent i mean there's even plugins now that that can do a good job of making it almost sound like that uh without actually being that yeah like drum leveler is great at that exactly when you were saying that i'm like oh drum leveler yes yeah exactly it it does a really good job of almost making it a triggered kick um so unless it's like that kind of a project if it's more open and you know natural or you know i definitely would rather not I'd rather use what we have in the room and make it, you know, authentic. So, you know, when hopefully they come back 
in a couple of years or in a year do the next record or whatever. Maybe it's five, ten years. They go, oh, man, that's that kick drum sounded so cool on that one record. What did we use? You don't have to say, like, well, we use this uh, <laughs> fucking GMS thing. But actually what it was is the Steven Slate thing I stole or whatever. You know, like like that's that's so weak. <laughs> now, um, so I, I'd like to be able to, to have that. Like, yeah, no, it's actually we use this and we tuned it like this and we, you know, blah, blah, blah. So take pictures, put notes in the comments of the Pro Tools, you know, track and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's I, I know I go on tangents quite often. Oh, but that, yeah. that, that's that's that makes for good <laughs> podcasting, to be honest. Um, so, uh, how about some favorite soft sense? My favorite is uh, on the sphere. Nice. I just can't get away from that, man. I know it's like it's probably a bit dated at this point. I know they came out with the version two. I, I think I um, think it's like one of those ones that it's like th- that is actually like the one of the few things that you could be like this is a classic soft synth. Yeah. I just can never, I can never like reach the bottom of it. There's mm-hmm. every time I pull up, I'm like, oh, I've never heard this creepy sound before. Mm-hmm. Cool, <laughs> burning piano twenty five sounds great. I think I, I think it's the thing. It's, it's probably one of the most common answers on this podcast because it, it's just yeah. the thing of like, you know, so few people create like classic plugins at this point, but that is the exception. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, they did. I don't know how they did that with the sound designers, man. But fuck, it's so cool. Yeah, oh, um, and I and I just use it as like a basic user too, man. I'm not a power user with that by plugin by any means. I just point and click at different sounds and mix them maybe A and B a little bit. I know you can do a lot more with mm-hmm. it, but that 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 usually gets to me to where I want to go with it. And it's just such a. I I would love to get the version two at some point. But uh, yeah, I love that plugin, and I also love like just like the the some of the stock Pro Tools shit. Like I just honestly like the the I guess not some it's like a synth plugin. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, uh, vacuum, yes. I think. Yeah, Vacuum. It's cool. I mean, it, it does what it does, and and for certain types of new projects, it's cool, and you can disguise it really well by putting delays on it and stuff. And I, I have a lot of fun with that too. Yeah, it's a great plugin. So, do you master your own records? I guess, I don't know if it's unfortunately or fortunately, but I, I usually do uh, at this point. Some of the bigger budget stuff, guys, will, you know, I'll always tell them ahead of time, like, if you're going to master it somewhere else, please let me know so I don't master it. And then I have to give it to said mastering engineer and just, like, you know, give him a, you know, I, it's better to have that in mind, obviously, when you're going, uh-huh. when you're doing the mixing. I, I, I agree. It's probably my bi- biggest pet peeve of getting to the end and then being like, oh, we're going to have somebody else master it and be like, oh, dude, like I got to reprint. Yeah. I got to reprint everything now. Instead it's of doing super things. frustrating. I had I had a, a, a situation with a band and, uh, years back and, and it, it happened that way and I got so pissed because yeah. <laughs> I told them from the beginning, I was like, please tell me if you decide to do what you're talking about doing. Not a problem. I don't care either way. I actually would probably prefer if you had said mastering engineer do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, assuming that, you know, you know their work and it's good work in the case this was. And uh, they're like, yeah, OK, we'll let you know. And they never let me know. So I asked one guy point blank and they said, no, we're going to have you do it. And then for some reason they were like, no, we're going to have this other guy do it. And I was like, oh, fuck. So it was, a you know, I had to call the, engine, the, the guy up and be like, dude, this is the situation. How can I make your life easy? <laughs> yeah. He was, super, he was cool about it. I mean, I'm sure you know Alan. Yes, so. <laughs> uh, obviously, yeah, yeah, I worked under it for years. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. yeah, it's like it, it is that thing. It's like even when it's somebody great, there's just the preparation you have to do to send files, and bands don't understand that. So it is a conversation that's needed to have. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like professional courtesy. You know, there's not a ton of us out here. I think most of us know each other, mm-hmm. and you just don't want to look like an asshole to another guy. You just want to be like, dude, I'm sorry, I fucked you up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's no fun when the band just sends it to them with your 16-bit 44-1 masters that already <laughs> have loudness maxes, Jason. That they're looking at you, yeah. look, like, what did this moron do? Yeah, it's like a negative eight. You're like, oh yeah, good luck, have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One one of those things. So let's get a little bit more into your you yourself. How long do you like to take to work on a song in best case scenario in tracking and in mixing? I guess, I mean, I don't want to pigeonhole myself, but I, I definitely, I like to take my time, I would say. Whereas certain guys I know, or maybe other engineers that may even work in my studio, they are more of the hip you know, get the good tones and hit record and, you know, kind of roll like that approach. Mm -hmm. And where I like to let things breathe. I like to take breaks. I like to, I like to develop things 
you know, I, I know a lot of times the young artist hates that because they're con- they're so budget conscious mm-hmm. that that like that's in, the, I feel like the younger they get, the more important that is to them, and that sucks because you know, like we're not trying to rob you. No mm-hmm. one is. We're not putting out insane rates, you know, like for studio time. We're just putting out, you know, what it costs us to run the studio plus a little bit so we can eat, you know, and stuff like that. So we're not like trying to be vampires and like not work or go slow with the day or anything like that. It's just like I want to make sure we don't rush things so that later on my life doesn't suck and you guys don't regret you know, the decisions that we made. So, you know, when we're doing like a drum setup, I, I often, if the, if the band is serious, I can tell, usually you could tell what, what, how serious a band is when they approach you for, for the for project, whether or not they want to just get in and bang things out, or if they want to like do an actual like proper record EP. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually tell them if we're going to do it like my way, it's don't even like expect to track a, any drums the first day mm-hmm. like for the, for the first eight hours like it's the first that's gonna be you know me and the interns getting in there setting up the well deciding on what drums first you know are we using your pearl export that sounds like shit or are we using something else you know like or do you have a nice drum kit that's like just freshly headed or do we have to choose the heads you know all that stuff like i want to make sure that everybody signs off on on everything like we set up the kit we mic the kit we try a few different arrangements of microphones out you know obviously we all have go-tos that we Mm -hmm. rely on that we know for a fact but that doesn't mean that we can't ever go outside that so like swapping a few things out if something's not working or a two-inch bleed or you gotta move things around then like you know when that's all set up and ready to go and everybody's cool i'll say okay the kit sounds good in the room i've got the mics pretty close you know let's try a couple different snare drums so we'll do like the same beat same tempo snare drum a Mm -hmm. then we'll switch snare drum b snare drum c maybe snare drum d i have a lot like a big shelf of snare drums because i've just been collecting them and then i'll blind test them i'll be like okay i'm gonna pick one of those a through d and play the beat and we're gonna go and go back and forth and you pick you know you know, whether it's the drummer that decides or the band that decides, you know, obviously I get a vote too, but that's how we kind of rock it. Unless they're like, from the get-go, this is the snare drum I'm using, this is the sound mm-hmm. I identify with, I, I need this. Obviously, I can respect that too. Then, you know, then we decide, and then a lot of times you get that same thing with the guitars. Like, holy shit, I never thought that I'd love this snare drum so much, you know, and I hate my snare drum or something like that, you know. They just have their snare drum because they bought it and etc same story as the guitar amp so that's like another thing of like exploring the tones and stuff like that so so i like to take time and i like to like work with the musicians on developing things i hate just like feeling like we got to watch the clock Mm -hmm. and get out of there and like that kind of thing obviously i like to go home at a reasonable time or my wife will kick my ass (laughs) but I, i don't i don't like feeling like i'm under the gun and i have to just like use what's in front of me and you know that kind of thing Nice. Because I feel like you, you end up just sacrificing stuff later. And then if you don't get the sound that you want, you're going to be like, oh, this actually sounds like shit. Let's use a trigger or let's use a sound. You know, I yes. hate that. So. Yeah. Get it, get it right initially so that you're not in hell during the mixing. Yes. And I find that and I tell – because I, I, I teach like mixing classes and, and uh, audio classes at the studio too, like one-on-one type stuff. Mm. And I, I, I tell all my students that. It's just like when you develop yourself and you develop your confidence level – and you can actually dial in the sounds right from the mic and you know and after the mic you can dial in your compression your eq those are main the main things you need then like for me like at this point when i'm doing a record from start to finish when it's like i, I track everything everything's cool and it's in the it's in the mix session but when i go to sit down and mix it i'm not pulling my hair out i literally am just moving a few faders and tweaking out a few things and my mixes are done like i'm not aside from adding like you know like fun production stuff mm-hmm. it's it's easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to, when I got to the mixing spot, I used to hate it because I was like, how do I make this sound good? Because I rushed all these things and I didn't, I wasn't careful and I was just doing this stuff to get it done, you know, but you just end up killing yourself. I know a lot of young guys, they pull up and they, they download every plugin they possibly can. They pirate everything they possibly can because they feel like it, it adds to their worth or their collection. Mm-hmm. But when you pull up a drop down window and, and you see like 5,000 EQ plugins and you don't know how to use any of them really well, you're better off just learning how to use one really, really well. Yep. Yeah. Well. You know. Well, as you guys' record is called, option paralysis. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true, it's man. Totally true. And 
It's totally true. And I and I only know that because I did it myself when I first started. Mm-hmm. I just got everything. And I was like, oh, I have all this cool shit. You know, this will be really impressive. But I never knew how to use any of it. I was just like, okay, this I, I can figure this out. But it's like you got to get comfortable with like one hammer mm-hmm. as a carpenter. You don't need 400 hammers that do the same fucking thing. You need one that you can just be really efficient with and just kill it, you know? That's more valuable than having all that other crap. Yes, and and knowing which one, uh, figuring out which one works to get you the results you want. Yes, totally. So what's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? I would say maybe uh, like go back to Steve Evich just because like I, I spent a good amount of time like hanging out with him. He, I mean, I've probably learned so much from him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was definitely, I know, like one of the ones that was like, get it right at the source. Like mm-hmm. you really need to do that. And, and I definitely, that's, that's a big thing for me because I just, I hate when people just throw things up and they hit record because I think that's how it's supposed to sound. But you should have it in your head, what you want it to sound like, and you should be able to attain that before you hit that record button. And if you don't, don't hit the record button until you do, Yeah, yeah, (laughs) you know, figure out how to get it within a reasonable amount of, you know, proximity to what the final product should be. If that takes time, that takes time. But, you know, as as you get better and more comfortable, you should be becoming more efficient and spending less time figuring it out, you know, how to get that sound in your head onto the tape. So I feel like that's just like a huge lesson in efficiency and just, you know, you, you never want to sit in front of the artist and look like you don't know what you're doing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> That's never a comfortable position. I, I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah. Tell me one of the best moments you've had in the studio. I don't know if it's like a spe- specific moment, but just like maybe like, when you get that that take that you just know is like the take or like when someone super unassuming, I always love it when someone super unassuming comes up to the mic or whatever their instrument is and they just do the drum set and they do what they do and you didn't really have any prior knowledge to it or you just hadn't seen it in person and it literally just blows you away and you can only do the, the typical turn the, the the chair around, like swivel the chair back at them and go, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, like when you're genuinely just impressed, I really love that because that always inspires me. Because, you know, like as we get older, we get jaded and stuff like that. And we think like all oh, music sucks or whatever. But like it's not true. And, you know, there's still a lot of really talented people out there. And I just love being impressed by people. So when when they come in and they just crush it and they just like like totally smoke the take, I just that definitely has a really awesome feeling for me. I'm with you there. Uh, how about one of the worst moments you've had and what you learned from it? Yeah, I definitely know that one. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely know that one. Um, I try. I mean, obviously, we all try not to make mistakes in the studio, but like the only time I can honestly say that I've really fucked up in the studio was a long time ago uh, when I kind of first opened my doors and you know that's what you get when you go to someone who's not doesn't have the experience on their belt you know i was working with a friend's band one of the first bands i ever recorded they had come back and i'm still friends with these guys and uh you know to this day so it's not like a thing but we did like a three song it was like it was like dirty punk rock stuff like intense stuff they did we did the drums we did the guitars blah, blah, blah and we got to mixing and i did one song i mixed it and i was like pretty happy with it so in Pro Tools, I opened up the other song and I did, you know, import audio, but like a, a noob and complete asshole, I also brought in the audio from song A into song B. So it just went on top of the song. And I was like, oh shit, no, I did not want to bring the audio in from song A. I just wanted to bring the mix template in because I don't yeah. I do not do all my songs in one, one session. Yes. I hate that. I, I know a lot of people do that, but... To me, that's insanity. Yeah, um, I, can't, I, anyway, I, can't, I, I hate when I get sessions like that. I don't even know how you can do automation and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I, that's a whole other rant, though. But um, So I brought stuff from A to B, and I brought the audio in with it, and I was like, oh, fuck, no, I, I did not want to do that. So I hit undo, and it undid it, and I still, you know, I was back to where I was. The thing was I didn't know that when you undo audio in pro, at the time – it. It goes away, but it's still located in the region folder. Uh-huh. So I, I had this habit of doing, you know, clear all unused audio. Mm-hmm. And when you delete, and it gives you that warning of, hey, you want, you're going to delete everything, mm-hmm. you know, that you're not using. They they really mean it, yeah. man. It is gone for forever. No backup system you can have will ever find it. So I did the clear audio in song B, and since song A's files were still 
in the regions folder, it actually deleted half of the song of song A. Uh huh. And and I was so bummed out. So I went back to song A to like check something. I don't know what. And I was like, "Where's all my Where's all my guitar and bass tracks?" Mm-hmm. And they were gone. So I, I after like 10, 15 minutes of like trying to figure out what the hell happened, I figured it out that I had deleted them with that doing that stupid thing. And uh, then I was like, in front of the artist, I was like, "Holy shit! I've got to figure this out. How can I like do damage control?" You know, I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I, I think I just called it for the day and I said, you know, we're going to have to re, you know, reconvene. I'm not going to charge you for blah, blah, blah. And then I used backup programs to try to find the data mm-hmm. that I had deleted. And it could only find stuff from like a year ago. It couldn't find it from today. Mm-hmm. It could not find that audio that was completely eradicated from the hard drive. So, and like, like I said, that was a long time ago. And I always tell my guys when I'm teaching them Pro Tools, like, not to ever do it that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, 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 I will never want to put a person in that position that I was in. It was so embarrassing. Yeah, that, that, that uh, copy files on import function and then yeah. only doing consolidations and then deleting out by hand, I think yeah. are uh, very good practices for people to learn. For sure. And I obviously like I just was so apologetic to the band. I was like, we will retract the guitars and bass for free. Mm. I know that's not even like a good, uh, uh, you know, that's 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 just the best I can do. Mm. You know, like, totally. <laughs> like it won't be the same. Obviously, it sucks because now you didn't play. They actually played it live in the original take mm. and there was no click track. So now they're kind of playing to a non click track overdub, which is really awkward and loose. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> yeah, I, I, sometimes that's all you can do. So let's get into some of your personal tastes. What's a perfect record someone else has made, and what makes it perfect? Off the wall. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, I just, I mean, I think, I think that those songs are just so timeless, and every, and they're just so awesome. Discipline by King Crimson is like a mm-hmm. perfect record. I mean, for what it is, I think it's amazing. And more recently, I think. Uh, not the last one they did, but the one before that, the Alice in Chains record, when they came back mm-hmm. from like not being a band, I thought that was a really, really good record. I know that's like so like long ago, but <sighs> I just really loved everything. I got really into that record for like a couple months. <laughs> nice. Let's go through five records that really shaped your musical growth. Just give us five through from when you got into music that were, had a big impact on you. Oh man, some of those are probably really embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Here's what I'll put out there. No more embarrassing than the other 60 people who've answered this question. (laughs) All right, all right. Uh, I definitely would say um, like Around the Fur was definitely a really big one for me when I was younger. Uh, Deftones. I would say Siamese Dream, I think. Right, that was the double one? Uh, No, the double one's uh, Infinite Sadness, Melancholy. Yes. Yes, yes, that's the one. I'm sorry. That's the one. Yeah, that one I just would never stop listening to when I was younger. Man, I'm thinking about CDs now. Yes. <laughs> Evil Empire, mm-hmm. I would say. I mean, that's not embarrassing. That record still fucking kicks ass. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think all three of these re- re- records still hit hard. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely pretty good. I'm, I'm leaving out a few of the more embarrassing ones, I would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will say, like, some of the early corn stuff got to me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If it was like, I mean, I could, when I put some of that stuff on now, I cringe, but like, I guess at the time when I was young, I really identified with that stuff for whatever reason. Totally. We had gotten offered a tour with them. Mm-hmm. It was them. And we didn't know at the time, but it was Stone Sour as well on that tour. It was like an arena tour or some massive thing. And we had gotten offered to do it. And I was like hoping so bad that we could do it. <laughs> but I mean, Dillinger is Dillinger and we turned it down. Yes. <laughs> and we didn't just turn it down like, no, thank you. We said some <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty strong, strong uh, comments on why we're turning it down kind of thing. Sounds like Ben. Yeah, <laughs> it was indeed. Yeah. And I was like, Ben, please, please let me, let us do this. He was like, no, dude, there's, there's no way we're ever doing that. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Just because it would have been a kick, you know, to see totally. like that, like just have this, you know, obviously, you know, you could shit talk corn, whatever, but they're still doing it and they're still selling, you know, tons and tons of tickets. They have a massive fan base. So, you know, you can t- shit talk all day, but it doesn't matter. They're still doing what they love and they're they're crushing it. But it would be nice to just be like open up for them and just blow them out of the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a thing to that. Yeah, you know, like someone who like you idolized for like years of your youth. But I guess that will never happen. 
I would definitely say like uh, those three King Crimson albums, like Discipline, mm-hmm. Three Perfect Pair, Beat. Those those records changed my guitar playing and just my how my brain works so much. And it's funny because my I used to get guitar lessons from Ben when I was like 18. Mm-hmm. He told me about King Crimson because he was like, oh, what kind of you know? He obviously knew I was a Dillinger fan. And he was like, what kind of riffs do you like the Dillinger stuff or whatever? And I. It told him that I like like the single notey kind of clean like or whatever like the like the those kind of like techie riffs and he was like oh well, you should check out you know, King Crimson and I guess I had checked out the wrong era of King Crimson yes at but the it's time. very easy and to do like, <laughs> yeah because they're like a fifty year long yeah, band or something it really is insane to think about that yeah I think there are like forty five years or something I was doing the math the other day. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And they have so much material and it's, it's not all the same at all. So I, I guess I just checked out the wrong stuff and I was like, I don't, I don't like this that much. I don't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't, wasn't until my, I guess my ear was more developed or like I just revisited it like years later. And I was like, Oh my God, what is wrong? With mm-hmm. <laughs> this funny. is the best stuff ever, you know? So for me, that was, I was obviously really big when I was younger. I really liked Nine Inch Nails, like the earlier Nine Inch Nails stuff. Mm-hmm. I was really into that. That was pretty cool because that that's definitely like different from all the others. Yes, for sure. So then let's talk about uh, give me three of your favorite producers. Obviously, because I already mentioned Steve, mm-hmm. Steve Evans, um, just from like knowing him and it's like I guess in a way leeching information off of his brain. I always liked Kurt Ballou's style. Uh-huh. I kind of identify with that too in in ways just the, the rawness of it. And when I was early, you know. Earlier on, I, I definitely looked him up and I was like, oh, what is, you know, th- I don't know who this band is or what, you know, who did it, but okay, this guy, oh, this guy again, oh, this guy again, like, oh, how does he, you know, so I started getting, you know, to, to watching some of his stuff. Nick, Nick Raskolinis, I think, is, does a great job at what he does too. Mm. And that's a weird one. But he actually did that one, uh, the uh, Alice in Chains record that I mentioned yes. earlier. And it sounds so, so awesome. Like the guitar tone is like insane drums sound you know like modern drums but like the guitar to me on that is just like flawless mm. so how about your favorite record of recent times and what inspires you about it probably that that Allison chains one mm. uh that that i that i said again earlier just when i heard that it kind of like reopened my enthusiasm for Allison chains again and i revisited all the like the back catalog and got really back into that now kind of like with Soundgarden too uh i've been revisiting that stuff since we played that we did that tour with yes. them recently and uh so i'm like man these songs live i mean those songs live man like watching it from the side of the stage was just like it was it was like life-changing in a way it's just like to see uh, like Matt Cameron on the drums, just fucking laying into it. Those, those, dude, his fills are so good. Just like, like he just effortless. It looks like, and you know, those are older guys, and they just they're playing better than most young guys, and they're just so seasoned. And it, it was it was really like humbling just watching those guys rock every night. That's rad. Yeah. So the last question is plug away. What, tell us what you've been working on. Self promote. Do the thing. We're opening up a tech shop now. Nice. So we we pulled in a new guy, my Mike. He's going to be doing all the tech work, and we're calling it something along the lines of backroom uh, tech and mod shop. And we're going to be doing modifications to guitars and amplifiers, and you know the typical like you know guitar centery type setups and the restrings and fixes and all kinds of alterations and that whole thing. But that's like a cool new avenue. It's always fun. You get stale with a business after a while, and you just like, what can we do to like obviously generate revenue, but like like to just do something else. You know, like I'm kind of. Totally. Now, like honestly I feel like the whole recording thing I'm like I, I it's actually not nice being in the band because I get to go on tour for a month and then do that and kind of get that fulfillment and then come home and then have like records lined up and then get to do that and then when I'm like Ugh, from that mm-hmm. you know I'm like fed up with that and I get to go back out again and change that up so it's always nice to me to like be able to try to like try your hand at different things and you know hopefully you succeed at not everything you do but so i'm hoping that you know with this tech shop is success success i can never say that word <laughs> and uh it's cool you know so that should be fun we're, we're setting up the shop this week so that's fun um you know doing a lot of recording projects constantly in the studio every week and we're going on tour on wednesday we're doing europe we're finishing up a lot of dates that we had to cancel because we were in like a shitty bus accident. Yeah, so I remember, I'm sorry about that. February. Yeah, that was that was that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> so we're 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 back and running, and we're trying to finish those days. So uh, that should be fun. Yeah. So busy on all fronts as usual, mm. and always looking forward to the next new thing. 
enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.